in James um, chapter 3, he had started into a thought saying that uh, our words are, are really important and they have a powerful effect on, on our lives and on others. And so he says, if, you know, we all stumble, but if, if we have control of our tongue, he says, we're perfect. He says, if we're capable of actually speaking the right things at the right time, he says, um, you can control your body easily if you get a hold and control your tongue. And so he's just making that point, and then he goes into some illustrations, and he says, it only takes a small spark to start a huge fire. And he says, our words can be that same way. And then he talks about the rudder of a ship, and if, if it had been written today, he probably would have said something like, a steering wheel. It's not that big a part on the car, but it can set the whole direction of where things go. In the same way, he just keeps talking about the speech and our words and the impact that they have on our lives and others. So that said, um, he, he gets in a little further to it and he says, you know, part of this um, chaos that develops is that wherever jealousy and selfishness exist, there's disruption. Wherever there are forms of selfishness coming out, wherever there are forms of jealousy, there's, there's discord. It, it, and, and every evil practice kind of comes springing out of that. And, you know, as I was, as I was looking at that, I'm going, in home life, it's real easy to get caught up in, in tussles with each other, right? Particularly as kids. But it's really important for parents in some ways to begin defining, this is selfishness. Or you're, you're functioning in jealousy in this moment. You need to step away from that. That's not a sign of maturity. That's not a sign of health. And for parents to identify it and to begin saying, even to a child, this isn't appropriate for your life. Now, the, the challenge is, is that often they're mirroring what we do ourselves, right? And, and so it's, it's really hard to come to terms with what they're about if we are unwilling to deal with our own issues. And regularly there are things like when we're interacting with a spouse and we're going, uh, yeah, you, I just don't like what you're doing there. And they're going, well, I don't like what you're doing there. And it just, you know, and it, what's the root of that? Where's that coming from? Generally, it's not the righteousness of God coming out in that moment, right? But it's this anger. And, you know, all we have to do is look at our own culture and say, well, how often do dating relationships break up? How often do marriages break up? How often do friendships fall apart? And, and we're going... There's a lot of selfishness and jealousy in this world. There's a lot of discord that comes out of that. And he makes a statement at the end of that. I'm, I'm getting to the fourth chapter. It just takes me a while to get there. But he says, real wisdom is peaceable and gentle. And we've looked at that a number of times. And I'm gonna, just going to go on. Into James 4. Where do conflicts and quarrels come from? Is it not from your passions that battle inside you? You desire, you do not have. You murder and envy, you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. And we can look at it and say, well, I haven't murdered anyone lately. 
you know, everything else maybe, but that one, I'm, you know, and then we go to Jesus' words, well, if you get into name-calling, you've, in a sense, already murdered someone. Oh, well. Uh, but that said, he, he moves on and he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly that you can spend it on your passions. And what James is coming through, he says, there's an issue here. When we go to the Lord and ask for things, there are times when it's not working, and we're saying, well, maybe God just doesn't love me, or he doesn't care, or he's un- maybe he didn't hear me. And he says, no, there's, there's a deeper issue here. And he's not saying, just shut up and let him do what he does, and, and you go about life. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying that when we ask and we have that hope of receiving, there are ways where it becomes more effective, so to speak. And there are reasons at times when it's not coming into our lives. And so when I was looking at this, I was thinking, in, in light of, say, a family, it's a lot easier to grant a child's request when they mature a little. Can I go to the store? Well, if we know that they can go there without getting lost and they can return in a timely fashion, if they can deal with any dangers that might be along the way, and if they can find what they're looking for and get back, we're saying, yeah, that's a good idea. But if they're not there yet, you're going, ah, this probably isn't good. Why don't you wait and I'll go with you later? It's a, it's a thing of maturity, right? It's a, it's a moment where you're going, I really would like to give you this freedom. It's just that you're not ready for it yet. And in some ways in the Lord, when we look at a passage like this, God would love to, to do what we're asking, but it's like in maturity with him, we're not asking the things that really will bring benefit to our life. We're not doing the things that really would, would prove profitable in the long run. The general rule of thumb that Jesus declared was ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. God, in that general sense, loves giving. He loves to open the door for those that are seeking. But it, it, it can't always happen in the way that we want because of what's rooted inside of us. That's what James is going after here. And there are, there are many passages that talk about asking. Um, in, in Psalm chapter 2, there's a linking of this idea of the king and Lord and the son, which in a sense is prophetic of, of Jesus and the ministry that he have. And he says, uh, the Lord is saying, ask me of the nations and I'll give them to you. And in a, in a microcosm of that particular window, David, who's writing this, is a king who receives nations. But there's a bigger picture that's in the prophetic being laid out, and it says, ask. You know, he's saying of the Son, ask, because he knows that the Son is, in Jesus is, is doing exactly what's appropriate in the moment, and his understanding is appropriate as well. Zechariah has another kind of thing of imagery in, in the 10th chapter where he says, 
you know, ask of me and I'll give you the early rains and the latter rain. And there's an imagery there that not only is about the physical earth, he says, I'll provide what you need with the actual rain on the earth so that things can turn green. But he says, in a spiritual sense, I will provide for you as well. So there's this dual picture. In, uh, in Matthew, Jesus is looking around him and he says, the fields are white unto harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. So it's one of those prayers that Jesus is saying, ask about this, it's appropriate. In, uh, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, there's a number of times where it says ask. And in, in those passages, there are some things that come across he says, remain in me as my words remain in you. Ask what you will. In another passage, he says, it is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So he's, he's telling them, ask because this honors God and it will bring glory to him in the appropriate setting. In another passage within that framework is Jesus saying, um, ask in my name. And he's saying, it's to God's, God loves honoring me through the people that have been drawn to me. And, and so he's, he's laying out principles and saying, God loves to do this. We have to understand that as we draw closer to him and as we remain in him, there's opportunity for us to understand his ways and there's, a, there's that opportunity to walk forward and say, may I go to the store, so to speak, and have that prayer answered. In Romans 1, Paul's saying, I've been praying and asking God that I can come visit you. He's saying, I, I want to bring something, a blessing. And, I, and so I've been praying, I've been asking God that he'd let me do this. 1 John chapter 5, if I understand this correctly, it says, if you're looking around and you see a Christian brother or sister that's doing some things that are messed up, start praying for their restoration. Ask that that sin would be forgiven them. You know, start praying that they begin to see the, the stupidity of what's going on in this area of their life. There are times when God just says, no, but it goes beyond our understanding and it isn't, it isn't a, 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 an appropriate attitude, per se. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about a thorn in the flesh, and he says, three times I asked God, remove this. Take this away from me, Please. And what's God say? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and essentially God's saying, even in this situation, there's good that will take place. And I have, you know, I, I, I've decided that my grace is sufficient in this area. Now that strikes me that God didn't just keep quiet, but he answered that prayer. He just said no in the moment. And, and we have the right to keep asking until there's a clarity in our minds. Let's go back to James 4. He says, Adulterers, don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility toward God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. So he says, we really are in a fight of sorts. He says, there, there are two distinctly different purposes here. And we have to make that choice in the Lord to walk in his light. I was thinking about the, the beauty of this idea of asking and receiving and then trying to evaluate and say, how much of my life has been spent really saying, God, 
what are your desires in this moment? What are your thoughts regarding this situation? Can I, can I know what you are thinking over this? But generally, you know, we're caught up in the day-to-day, right? And every now and there's a whispered prayer, but it's, it's more the thing of, uh, yeah, you know, God, I, I think I'm doing right. I, I, I believe this is a good thing. And, and, but it's, it's almost like informing him, yeah, uh, yeah, just stay out of the way and we'll get things done. And, and yet, really what we're being called to out of this passage is to say, draw close to him. Draw into his presence and begin to even ask, what are your desires and what would you want to see done? And, and the beauty of that is that there's an opportunity to hear and receive of that. And the beauty is that we get to carry out activity that has an eternal focus. And we get to be a part of something that's going to last forever. And I think at times we don't realize how precious this really is. But it's more about, you know, finding out for the day what's going on. He says, don't you think, the scripture means nothing when it says, the spirit that God causes us to live with us has an envious yearning. He says, there's a tendency in our lives just to move into envy. There's a tendency in our lives to want to clutch and grab toward ourselves. He says, but God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So he says, challenge that thing. Humble yourself before the Lord. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So he says, in this battle, submit to God, resist the devil. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a beautiful promise. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Make your hearts pure, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Wait a minute. <laughs> What's with that? I think what that passage is referring to is that, you know how the, uh, somebody will tell a crude joke and there's kind of this carnal knowledge and the laughter connected with it? You know, where it's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. And it's all caught up in truly the profane. And I think what this passage is saying, that kind of laughter, maybe you should look at it and say, you know what, that's really sick. That, that whole perception and that whole bent, and rather than taking joy in it, I'm going to say, no, nah, that's, that's not for me. Maybe it's one of those things where we look at something and we say, you know what, I've taken great delight in this, but really, in light of eternity, it doesn't mean anything. It's valueless. And so it's appropriate for me to, to despise it in a sense. And to say, I, I'm not going to take joy in that anymore. Sometimes the victories that we have, when we look back, we're going, those were profane victories. They really weren't appropriate for the day and for in light of eternity. So that's, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So that's, that's the beauty of the story is that when you yield to the Lord, it's, he's going to lift you up. I'm reminded of uh, 
Matthew chapter 6, when he talks about the flowers of the field being so gorgeous and wondrous. And he goes, if God takes care of them and clothes them, why are you worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or you know, where you're going to sleep? He says, God's going to take care of that. But he's calling us to put our energy into pursuing him. Now, in James chapter 4, it, it moves on a little more, and it's similar, but it, it, it takes on a slightly different bent. And he goes, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this town or that town, spend a year and do business and make a profit. He says, your life's a puff of smoke. It appears for a short time and vanishes. And I think part of it is, at times, when we acknowledge, I can get this done, the source of the wanting to get it done is rooted in our selfishness, our own ambition, right? And then pride kicks in and says, all I've got to do is work hard enough. I've got to just, you know, chase this. and I've got to push here, and it's going to happen. I know I can do this. And ultimately, what this passage is coming back to is saying, There's, there are things more important than that. Your life is, is temporal. Live it accordingly. You ought to say, if the Lord is willing, then we will live and do this or that. In other words, it doesn't say stop the planning or don't plan. That's not at all what it's saying. But in a sense, it's saying submit that plan before the Lord and say, is this your desire? Is this what you want? And then start running all out, <laughs> right? You know, that, that, that he's not opposed at all to you running hard. He's not opposed at all to you chasing excellence. But it's what's the driver? And if it's drawing close and remaining in him and saying, I think this is precious in your sight, to chase that with all your might and to acknowledge that he's happy about such a pursuit. And the fruit that comes out of that is going to be giving glory to him. He says, as it is, you boast about arrogant plans. And he says, such boasting's evil. So whoever knows what to do and does to do good and does not do it is guilty of sin. I want to finish with a passage out of Chronicles. When King Solomon was about to step into leadership, he has this vision of the Lord, and God asks him, what would you like? What do you want? And Solomon says, I want wisdom and discernment. He says, I'm young in this. I know that I'm in over my head, essentially. And he's saying, I, I need that if I'm going to do this well. And the Lord comes back to him and says, um, because your desire, you desire this and did not ask for riches, wealth, and honor or vengeance on your enemies because you did not ask for long life but requested wisdom and discernment so you can make judicial decisions for my people over whom I've made you king. He said, you are granted wisdom and discernment. And then he goes on. Furthermore, I'm giving you riches, wealth, and honor surpassing that of any king before you or after you. So essentially he's saying, you set your heart on the right things. And the God who is going to provide for you anyway says, 
I'm not only just going to provide, I'm going to do it in abundance. And we kind of come back to that thing of, how much do I trust him? If I trust him enough to draw close to him, am I going to have to just shed everything that seems appealing and just say, okay, God, uh, you know, this is going to be a boring life, but this is for you. That's the fear, right? That if I let go of this thing that seems really awesome in the moment, is life just going to slip into drudgery? And yet, we're dealing with a good God who is, who, who is amazing in all things, whose history has been to not only bless, but bless exceedingly. And so when we look at that, there's, there's something in our hearts that says, I don't understand exactly how this is going to work out. And even though, in a sense, I'm denying myself in the moment for the things that seem just wondrous right now, I have the privilege in the Lord to say, I know that I can trust Him. And we'd step in further and realize that He is overarching care for our lives exceeds anything that we've anticipated to date. There is a place to ask and receive. That is laid out in Scripture, and it's appropriate that we learn how to ask and receive, right? That we don't just give up and say, well, he's going to do what he wants to do, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going I'm to follow him. No. I think he wants us to, to step in and really chew on these things long enough that we find out what's appropriate. And then see the beauty of him making that unfold and happen. But often it's our own cravings that get in the way. And we have to be aware. And it doesn't matter how long you've lived in the ways, so to speak, that um, that selfishness still has portions of us. And when we're honest, we have to say, yeah, this really isn't appropriate for, the, for this moment or for my life. But knowing, knowing that as we humble ourselves, we will be exalted in the Lord. You know, to just say, what dream should I be chasing in you? How would you want me to carry this out? realize that in myself that uh, I'm probably the last person to see my selfishness or my arrogance um, because I, I try to push it aside and there are moments like if I ask the Lord what's one thing you'd want me to change in my relationship with Shara and I get this immediate do this and, and the first tendency is uh, yeah that's not that important or you don't get it. She's, you know, <laughs> you're arguing with God. What, what kind of thing is that? But it, it's like, do we have the courage to open up our hearts and say, what would you like me to do differently? Or even going to a friend that knows as well and says, um, what, what do you see in my life that you think I ought to be working on? Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If they'll speak truth to us, it's an amazing thing. So there is that 
introspective side that says, okay, I should deal with these things. But there is that outward look, too, that says, God really does want me to be able to pursue dreams and to ask and to receive and to, that he's designed me to carry out the works of the kingdom. And he wants me to succeed in these areas. It brings glory to him. So anyway, may your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in your presence and to see answered prayer. Ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.